Welcome to the worship seminar. This is an exciting moment. I get to introduce my wonderful friend, Jesse. Um, if you don't know Jesse, you are in for a treat tonight, today, whatever. I'm tired. Sorry. Yeah, tonight. He's going to go that long of here all day. No, I know. I wanted to tell you a couple of reasons why I have a lot of respect for Jesse. I first came to respect Jesse because I very quickly discovered that he's a very, very clever musician. He's very, very smart and very skilled. And he hears things that other people don't hear. And he understands things that I will probably never understand about chords and so forth. Um, but then I also came to respect Jesse because not only does he do the music thing, then I watched him really dig into theology. And I watched him, oh, he's really, he's really leaning into being a great pastor to his team. If somebody came to me and said, Jesse has flown to the moon, I would believe it because he's just, he's so determined to grow and to um, just continue to become everything that God has called him to be. And that's what he carries. And so we would love to receive some of that. And I'm going to stop talking and hand over to you, Jesse. Come here, I'm going to pray for you real quick. Holy Spirit, come. We want to keep growing. And so we, we give you permission, Holy Spirit, to... Um, really lean in on the things that you want us to grow in. And we understand that we can't grow in everything all at once. So we open our ears to what you're saying. And we pray for Jesse, that he would hear from you and that he would help us connect with the things that you're calling us to grow in. And we thank you for him and for his many skill sets. And we openly and cheerfully and excitedly receive everything that he has to give us today. Amen. Amen. All right. So um, let me just tell you where um, how I'm going to break this down in the next hour so that you, uh, you, you know where I'm going. There's going to be plenty of time at the end for you to ask questions. So if I if it feels like I'm just rattling through things a little too fast and you've got questions, I invite you to just hold on to those questions until the end and I'll, I'll uh, create some space at the end. Um, I'm going to spend just a few minutes giving you a little bit of uh, context for where I've been ministering as a, as a worship pastor, give you uh, a sense of the environment that I, uh, that I operate in. And then I've got seven things uh, to say to you about um, what I've learned about building uh, a healthy worship ministry. And these are all things that um, obviously are a work in progress where I am. Um, I'm not a master at any of them, but they're just things that I've picked up uh, from, from various uh, places and people and things I've read uh, that have uh, served me well. So hopefully you will... Uh, find something in what I have to say that you will find useful. But just to give you an idea of, of who I am and where I come from, uh, my wife and I, after we got married, which was about 20 years ago this month, actually, um, uh, we actually gave up on church for a little while, uh, a couple of years. We were really burned out and uh, exhausted. We'd had enough. Uh, but after about two years of that, uh, of not going anywhere, God told us in no uncertain terms that we needed to get back into fellowship, and we eventually landed in a vineyard. It was Riverside Vineyard in West London, and the worship pastor there was a guy called Brian Dwayne, uh, fantastic guy to learn from, 
Uh, he had been there since the early days of the Riverside Vineyard when Rick and Lulu planted. Um, you know, some of the the, uh, the first few plants uh, of the vineyard in the UK. And he was the worship pastor, and he found out pretty quickly that I was a, a, a fairly handy guitarist, and, um, and I was really keen to get involved after a couple of years of not really being anywhere. And uh, he infuriatingly didn't even hint that I might even have the tiniest of roles to play, and it was incredibly frustrating. But he saw something that I hadn't seen, and that was that I had completely failed to learn um, anything from my burnout, and that my enthusiasm to get stuck right back in again could have easily ended up in exactly the same problem eventually. And in doing that with me, Brian taught me in practice what later became expressed to me uh, as a principle, and it's a principle that has guided every activity of, uh, of us at the Kingdom Vineyard in Scotland, and that's that we value people before programs. And if you want an overarching principle for everything I'm about to say uh, to you, that's it. But anyway, Brian eventually let me get involved, and um, it was a great environment to learn how to be a worship leader. Um, and we were there for a few years, and then in 2004, uh, Marie and I moved up to Scotland to join Toby and Carol Foster uh, as they had just planted uh, uh, the Kingdom Vineyard uh, in St. Andrews from, from out of Riverside. By the way, a lot of people thought it was a bit snooty uh, to call the church plant the Kingdom Vineyard, uh, as though it had a monopoly on the Kingdom of God, you know, as though you might as well call it the Holy Spirit King Vineyard. Um, the reality is that, I've got a little slide, the first thing you see when you get into Fife is this. And, and everything, every business is the Kingdom something. Um, so it really... Uh, it's really just a beautiful play on the word, bringing the kingdom of God back up to the kingdom of Fife. And that's what we've been doing. And since then, Henry Cross has planted the Rock and Redeemer vineyard, so uh, he kind of upped the game when that happened. Uh, so for the last 12 years, I've lived in the, uh, near St. Andrews in the kingdom of Fife, and uh, it's, it's an all right place. I mean, um, you can't really see because of the lights, but, you know, it's, it's just got some old crumbly buildings and... You know, it's, it's all right. Um, you just got to go where God calls you, don't you? Um, uh, it is cold. Um, <laughs> but this is, um, this is a spot we do baptisms in where we, where we baptize people in the waters of the North Sea. So it takes extraordinary commitment uh, <laughs> to get baptized. Where, uh, where we're based uh, in St. Andrews, uh, we have a church that's approximately, it's sort of, it goes between half to two-thirds university students in our congregation. Uh, it's a small town, the area, uh, the east end of, East End, the east part of Fife is very rural, lots of pockets of villages, uh, but it has this university in St. Andrews that uh, really dominates local life. And that means that we have a continuous flow of uh, new members coming in and out year after year, keeps things very interesting. Um, so uh, in addition to that constant 
turnover of membership, we have throughout the year a kind of tidal effect where we expand and contract in our numbers. Uh, so it's not unusual for us to go from very full bands to very stripped uh, bare bones worship. Uh, in the 10 years uh, that I've been there, I've uh, grown the worship ministry from just a single person with a guitar. I don't want to brag, but check this out. <laughs> Sometimes we have a djembe. <laughs> this was two weeks ago, two Sundays ago, and then just Sunday, Sunday just gone. Um, it, it changed a little bit. Uh, students suddenly f flooded back into town, and I've got a drummer and a bassist and, and a guitarist and singer and keyboard player. Um, so we have this constant sort of tidal flow. And St. Andrews isn't a place where students tend to stick around after they've graduated. There's not a lot of things uh, to give them employment. Uh, so although our numbers as a, as a congregation have tended to stay relatively static over the years, it, it's, that's not a very accurate reflection on the kind of influence that we've had on people. So we've had just hundreds and hundreds of people who now are, are scattered all over the world. And um, we've come to terms with, that's the, that, with the fact that that's the kind of dynamic that God has given us, even though that's not the kind of church we, we might have conceived of. Um, uh, you know, sometimes I just put my head into my hands and beg God that someone would stay. Um, we sort of uh, work on them for for four years and get them just the way we like them, and then they leave. <laughs> and they land in hopefully one of your churches or something. <laughs> um, sometimes students write to us, uh, before they come to university and they ask, what kind of student ministry do, do you have? And we say, we don't have a student ministry. We have ministry. And, and students are involved in every aspect of our ministry. Uh, so we have student home group leaders. We have students doing ministry with kids. We have uh, student worship leaders. Uh, Lizzie right next to me in that picture is just uh, one of many. Um, we have student preachers. We have students volunteering in the compassion ministry, helping around the office, generally making a wonderful nuisance of themselves. So I'm telling you these things just so you get an idea of where I'm coming from. This is the world I live in. Um, I've been trying to do myself out of a job, actually, for 12 years, but it's just not working, you know. Um, so I'm still, I'm still leading worship, still training people, still losing people, still gaining people, all that. So I've got seven things to say. Seven because um, one of my favorite areas of biblical study is apocalyptic literature. And if I wasn't going to do three points, I had to then make seven. And if, <laughs> and, if I, and if I had to go over seven, I had to go to 12. And if it wasn't 12, it would probably be 144. So I thought I'd uh, leave you at seven. Yeah. But before I get into those seven, there are just two things I want to say, just a, a kind of um, couple of health warnings, really, which if you ignore, will, uh, uh, you will hurt yourself and hurt others around you. Um, the first thing is this, just in, 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 
by the by the way, this this is about worship ministry, but this is kind of um, applicable to whatever kind of ministry you're in. Do you not neglect your own spiritual formation? Uh, this isn't going to be a seminar on spiritual formation. Yesterday, Andy Smith did a seminar on spiritual formation. So when the recordings become available, listen to that. Read the books on spiritual formation, emotionally healthy spirituality, celebration of discipline, renovation of the heart, so on. Practice the spiritual disciplines of prayer, fasting, Sabbath, exercises like the examine, the rule, rule of life. Because you cannot lead others when you do not know the way. So you need to go there. And you cannot serve what you're not cooking. So get in the kitchen. Uh, the second health warning is what I've said before. Love and value people above programs. People are not just fodder for our ministry machines. They are members of the body of Christ. They need to be cared for. And if your team members aren't in good health, whether that's spiritual or emotional or physical, then we need to make sure we're addressing those things as a priority before we're pressing them into serving our uh, ministry agendas, however noble and indeed holy those agendas are. These principles of not neglecting your own spiritual formation and making sure you value people above programs were probably better expressed by Jesus when he said, love God and love one another. So those are the two health warnings. Point number one. For a healthy worship ministry, we need to build from our values out and not from form in. Hopefully, as I, as I continue to speak, you'll understand what I mean by this. But with the right combination of skill and financial investment, it is quite possible to reproduce the exact aesthetic of whatever worship environment you love whether you want big rock bands or gospel choirs or big lighting rigs and hazers or maybe stained glass and incense. I want all of those things, by the way. Um, it is possible to get your, wor your worship to look and sound whatever you want it to look and sound like. But if you just imitate form without paying heed to the values that underlie form, you end up with something that's all style and very little substance. Uh, Wimber, I think, described this as all sizzle and no steak. So form, the thing that your worship ministry looks like, should be an expression of your values, rather than just um, a particular aesthetic that you strive after for its own sake, for its own enjoyment. I have a friend who lives in the capital of North Korea, anyone feel called to plant a church in North Korea, then I could hook you up with somebody. Bit of a strange place. I saw some photos that she brought back uh, of the city center, and I saw these incredible buildings, these wide open plazas, um, lush plant life just growing everywhere. There's something really strange about the pictures. There was no human activity. They were all empty squares, empty roads. And what's more, she told me, all of the buildings are empty. In fact, they don't even work. They're, they're not hooked up to the electricity or the plumbing. In one case, there's this huge 
dominating the skyline is this building that they wanted to be a hotel. It's not a hotel. It looks beautiful from the outside, but apparently the elevator shaft is crooked. It doesn't work. Uh, the plant life around the city is uh, lush because all of the clean water is used to keep them alive while the malnourished population are left to drink whatever else they can get their hands on. I, I'm sure you get the point that I'm trying to make. You can create the appearance of something beautiful while inside and behind the shiny facade there's actually no life whatsoever. And uh, when Jesus criticizes the rituals of the Pharisees, it's not the rituals he's criticizing. He's criticizing the fact that uh, the, the Pharisees have lost and forgotten the values that gave shape to those rituals. So we, don't, we, we really mustn't fall into that trap. Uh, no one form of worship has the monopoly on spirit and truth. God wants us to get our values right, and then the form will follow. So what are the values that make vineyard worship tick? Ta-da. I pinched these from the new website, <laughs> vineyardworship.org.uk. Uh, I, I don't have time to talk about these in, in, in any detail. Uh, I just encourage you to know them and contemplate them. Uh, these values are in my opinion, the reason why you can walk into any vineyard church <clears throat> and recognize it as a vineyard, uh, whatever the worship sounds like. It can sound completely different, uh, but it just kind of smells like vineyard, feels like vineyard. When you spend time thinking of, about the values, it's like looking inside a watch. It's like looking behind the clock face to see what the cogs are doing. And in conversations I've had over the last year in worship intensives about these values, it's been really interesting. We've had some great conversations, and some people have suggested or asked why certain other things aren't included in our values. Uh, sometimes people have suggested things like simplicity or excellence or indeed um, freedom, which is the theme of our conference. The truth is, is that while I think these things are all wonderful things, I think they are fruits and not roots of the way we do worship. When, for example, we value accessibility, we produce simplicity. And when we value the kingdom of God in our midst, we produce excellence because we want to give our very, very best to the King of Kings. And when we press into the presence of the Holy Spirit and bond ourselves to become slaves of Jesus, it's only then that we experience true freedom. So, excellence, simplicity, freedom, I think are wonderful, wonderful things, but I think you don't get them directly. You get them by building a ministry on these values. If you value um, those things, you will still produce something excellent. In fact, if excellence is your value, you would expect to produce something excellent. But it may very well fail to be these things. You may very well produce something that is excellent 
but which fails to uh, produce an environment in which people uh, can experience the presence of God. So we've been entrusted with these values, and they're very, very precious. So, um, so I encourage you to know them, contemplate them. I'd love to know just if you're reflecting on them, if you've got some kind of uh, word from God about them, I'd love to hear from you. But these are what are at the root of worship ministry in the, in the vineyard. So uh, the second one is be yourself. Second, this is the second point of seven uh, in building a healthy worship ministry. One of the things that I believe is quite powerful in preventing health in a worship ministry is the overuse or even abuse of comparison as a metric. Um, we constantly judge ourselves uh, against something other that we perceive as better or even ideal. And uh, we look at what others are doing and we say, wow, that is beautiful. Let's do that. Rather, I think we should be saying, wow, that's beautiful. But we're not them. So let's do what we do. And of course, I'm not suggesting that we don't learn from others, that we don't bring in aspects and elements of what others are doing, but you then have to do the hard work of making it yours and um, adapting it to your local context. When the great Ray Charles was starting out as a professional musician, he made a good living out of doing gigs um, uh, he was well known in his younger days as an excellent imitator of Nat King Cole and Charles Brown, both massively popular acts in the late 40s. Then he signed with Atlantic Records, and he made the conscious decision to leave those imitations behind and try to find his own voice. He described this transition in an interview, and he said this, um, I woke up one morning, and I was laying there in the bed, thoughts running through my mind, when all of a sudden it hit me. I began to realize that people would come up to me and say, hey, kid, you sound just like Nat Cole. Or, hey, kid, you sound just like Charles Brown. It was always, hey, kid. And I began to tell myself, you know something? Nobody knows your name. They don't know who you are. You're just a hey, kid. And then my thoughts went to my mom. She always used to tell me, be yourself. I don't care what you are, but be yourself. Don't try to be something you're not. So I started telling myself that, and I was scared to do it because I could get work sounding like Nat Cole. Suppose I fail. But he thought, I can't keep going around imitating. I have to sound like myself, good, bad, or indifferent. If I make it, I make it. If I don't, I don't. And the truth is, he made it. I'm a really big fan of Ray Charles and his voice and his music, but we would have never heard it if he hadn't made that conscious decision to stop imitating and take a risk on his own voice. Now, perhaps Ray didn't know this, but as far as God was concerned, he was never a hey kid. God knew what his name was, knew that he was a unique creation that had something in him that was only in him and not in anyone else. And the same is true of you and me. God knows your name. You're not a hey kid. You're an expression of God's glory that exists nowhere else in creation. You need to stop trying to be someone else and have the courage to be yourself. The Jewish philosopher Martin Buber wrote this story 
about a rabbi called, I'm going to say Zussia. Zussia died. <laughs> and he went and he stood before the judgment seat of God. And as he waited for God to appear, he grew nervous thinking about his life and how little he had done. He began to imagine that God was going to ask him, why weren't you Moses or David or Solomon? But when God appeared, the rabbi was surprised. God asked him, why weren't you Zussia? i just tell you that story because uh, we need to make sure we're not depriving the church uh, by failing to live out of who we are and then the, uh, uh, operating in ministries that take shape out of that rather than striving to be something that we're not. If you're constantly trying to be someone and something that you're not, then not only will you always be frustrated, but I think you're doing something far more serious. I believe that to fail to know yourself and to be yourself is to deprive the body of Christ of a contribution that only you can make. And that is a form of theft, bluntly. So, you know, John uh, Tyson has been talking, was talking yesterday about blessings and curses. We want to bless what other people are doing. But we want to work out what it is that God wants us to do. Not just as a movement, but as individuals and, uh, and individual churches within the movement. We want to work out what is God doing through me that he's not doing through anyone else, that only I can do, that only I can see, that only I can hear. Third point. I'm just going to take a sip while you contemplate this. Don't just recruit, release. Uh, don't just use people to build ministries. Use ministries to build people. Don't just work on filling gaps. Work on creating gaps. Often when I ask someone uh, in our church to consider joining the worship team, and say, uh, you know, you've got a beautiful voice. Have you ever thought about singing with the worship team? We will be so blessed. Sometimes I get the response, oh, do you need singers? I say, no. Nope. Uh, but sometimes I get the sense that that's just something they need to be living out of. They need, they need to, um, I need to create a space for them to be functioning in the gifts that God has given them. Now, of course, if someone comes into the church and says they're an experienced bassist, then I just hear choirs in heaven singing. And, uh, and, and I'm not suggesting that we don't think about um, the shapes that we want our ministries to look like, and we don't look for people to, to, um, to serve that vision. But on the whole, the general culture of our church has not been about getting people locked into rotors in order to maintain the precise shape that our ministries have had thus far. We have rather um, got into the habit, I suppose, of, um, of looking around and opening our eyes and ears and trying to ask God, what are you saying about this person? What are you saying that this person needs to be doing? Again, I'll say this, value people above programs. 
that sometimes actually ask, means asking folk to put things down as well as to pick things up. So you are a brilliant, brilliant drummer, but you're knackered. And I would rather have no drums than have you just completely f just fall apart. However hard and inconvenient that might be, I think the, uh, the principle of valuing people above programs just means that I need to, um, I need to sacrifice my own desire for a particular sound for the better win of seeing that person flourish and get the rest that they need. Then move on. Seek and share vision. I'm going to quote from Ellie Mumford. I didn't, I didn't even... I just remember this phrase that she said a few years ago at, at, at a conference, and I went looking for it, and I looked, dug up the video, and I watched this hour-long talk that Ellie and John both shared, and it wasn't even a main point, but it was just this one phrase that was just in there. I suppose... Um, Sometimes you don't, you don't hear the main points of a talk. So sometimes you just hear a phrase. So here's hoping. But anyway, she said this, people don't follow vision, they follow people with vision. They don't just want a vague, airy, fairy vision. They want to follow you, who are leaders in the movement and who are captured by a vision. You need to be captured, and then you need constantly to be clarifying it for the people in your churches, reminding them of who we are and what we are for reminding them that we are called to exalt the Lord, constantly affirming Jesus. It means constantly explaining and repeating why we're doing what we're doing, and it means repeatedly telling our stories. So in terms of having a vision for worship, you know, you don't need to have a snappy um, one-line mission statement, although that sometimes helps. Uh, when my pastors established the Kingdom Vineyard, they... Um, they also established with it a, a kind of vision statement that is helping people make connections with God. And that has served me very well as a vision for the worship team as well, which I think, if I'm right, you unashamedly lifted from Coventry Cathedral, is that right, as well? So, you know, we're all thieves stealing from other thieves. Um, everything I do is built on the values that I expressed earlier, but everything I... Um, I do is then I, I then assess by the metric, does it help people make connections with God? Am I leading people to Jesus? Well, whether it's a snappy one-liner like that or a document um, that expresses vision in a much broader sense, the point is that you need to know and to be able to articulate what it is you believe you're called to do and how it is that you intend to do it. I have a, a, a document... Uh, I don't expect you to be able to read that. It's not a sight test. Um, uh, can you read the third line? Um, uh, it outlines my vision and values for the worship ministry. This is something I've done fairly recently. Um, yeah. Up until this, I've been fairly chaotic in the way I've communicated vision. I've used the principle caught, not taught in general. I believe now that the model that is more effective than caught, not taught, is caught and taught. Um, 
When I initially introduced this document, it was in the form of a contract, which uh, asked for a signature on the bottom of it. That didn't go well. <laughs> I came up against some pretty strong opposition uh, to that idea. I didn't understand the opposition at first, so I went onto Facebook, which is always very wise. And uh, I went onto the Vineyard Worship Leaders group, which uh, you, you can all look for and join. It's sometimes useful. Um, and I asked what folk out there thought about the contract or covenant um, idea for worship teams. And people who I love and respect around the movement were very, very divided on this subject. Um, they were in one camp or another. Anyway, that's, uh, I kind of broke the internet for a little while by asking that question. And in the end, I just decided that I wasn't so wedded to the idea of getting signatures on paper that I wanted it to be a stumbling block. Uh, I just wanted people to know what, what we were going for. Um, so I've just said to my team, I expect you to agree with everything on here and to, and, and, and to pursue these um, things. Um, if you don't agree with it, I would like to know about it. We wanna ha I want to have a conversation about that. Um, but if you say you agree, and then I see something that's inconsistent with these things, then we're, we're going to have a conversation about that as well. Um, and I expect you to do the same with me. So basically, if I start doing stuff that is inconsistent with what's on there, I expect people to do exactly the same with me. Uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm happy to send this to you if you want to use it as a launch pad for anything similar in your context. It, I've just found it helpful to, um, to be explicit in articulating uh, where we're going and how we're going to get there. I just don't recommend asking for a signature on the bottom. By the way, and this is just a, a, a quick aside. Um, as part of uh, my ministry, I've always identified the technical team, or whether you want to call it the, the audio-visual team or something like that, as part of the worship ministry. I um, have been in churches where um, musicians and, and, and technical team have been like two tribes that just don't speak the same language. And... Um, and it's not fun. Um, I expect the musicians to understand tech, and I expect the tech teams to understand music. So I get everybody just trying to pull together in the same direction. So if you ever experience any tension between these two groups, perhaps you just want to make an adjustment of, uh, in how you're expressing your vision and values for all the moving parts in your worship ministry. So that's something. So, all right. She can, she can share vision. Number five, keep platforms discreet. As part of the uh, a bit of church history here for you, as part of the uh, architecture of uh, late medieval churches, there was this thing called a rood screen. I don't know if you know about this, but it's, it's essentially um, a structure, a visible structure that, um, that uh, demarcated a certain part of the church in which the clergy would carry out rituals and the laity were not allowed to sort of enter into that part of the church. Actually, it was sometimes designed so that the lay, the lay congregation could see what was going on in there, but they certainly couldn't go in. And for what I believe are excellent theological reasons, most root screens have actually been removed now from churches. And these reasons have to do with what's called the priesthood of 
all believers, or as John Wimber expressed it, everybody gets to play. Now, I think that if we're not very careful, we're sometimes in danger of developing a modern equivalent of a root screen. I'm not suggesting we have an open mic set up on stage, but I think that when we, uh, when we create distance and separation between those who are on platforms and those who are not, I think what we've done is we've built a root screen. And we've said, here's the clergy, here's the laity, and it's more of a sort of, um, uh, sort of spectator sport than a participatory event. So sometimes we're working in buildings like schools where there are these stages that are like five feet off the ground, five feet, five feet off the ground, um, five feet off the ground, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so that congregants need to strain, you know, crane their necks to actually sort of see the people that are leading them. Uh, you know, sometimes we're forced into, uh, you know, we've got to work with the buildings that we're in, but where we can, we should work to mitigate any separateness that develops between us and those who, whom we are leading. So, um, you know, there are various ways that we can do that. We can have lighting rig rigs that blind us so that we can't see the people that we're leading, or we can have uh, songs that are in, like entire sets of songs that are in keys that only freakishly talented male vocalists can sing. Um, I don't want to come across as saying that uh, we should ignore the aesthetics of our worship environments. They're incredibly important. Aesthetics um, cause us to experience the presence of God. They're, they're, the, they're the gift of God for us to actually experience his presence. The opposite of aesthetic is anesthetic, which is all about um, the numbing of our senses, and we certainly don't want to be doing that. So we want to pay attention to the aesthetics of our worship environments, how things sound, how they look, how they smell, how they feel. You know, We don't want it to be too cold. We don't want it to be too hot. We don't want it to be smelly. We don't want it to be too dark, too bright. It needs to, you know, these are things we need to pay attention to. But what I am saying is that the aesthetic designs of our worship spaces should always be consistent with our values. And in particular, they should never create an us and them dynamic between what then becomes a new clergy and laity division. Next. Keep it simple. <laughs> Ellie Mumford again, she said, this vineyard thing began with a young family in a borrowed front room with a Bible and an omnicord and a vision. Now, I don't know if you know what an omnicord is. This is an omnicord. Uh, essentially, it has buttons for the chord that you want to play. Uh, it has uh, a, another button that will tell, you, uh, tell it to play either a minor or a major variation on that, sometimes other sort of uh, voicings of chords. And you, you strum across it, and it produces this kind of electronic uh, approximation of a, of a stringed instrument playing a chord. Now, I'm not sure if it was this advert that convinced uh, the Mumfords to purchase an Omnicord uh, with its use of the, 
the, the hand of God in, in Michelangelo's uh, creation of Adam. Or perhaps it was this. Um, uh, which showed the ease with which you could just take your worship with you on a bicycle made for two. But anyway, we're all here because uh, of a healthy worship ministry that was built by a young family in a borrowed front room with nothing but a Bible and an omnicord and a vision. Now, I'm not saying simplicity is dumbing down. Anyone who's ever preached knows how much work it takes to communicate a profound truth in a simple way. But I found it helpful to think of music in, especially music in the context of worship, as having two different kinds of elements. Uh, I think that we have structural elements, and I think that we have ornamental elements. Structural elements are the basic ingredients of a song, things like tempo and key and rhythm, melody. And ornamental elements are exactly that. They're ornamental. They're beautiful, but they're non-essential. They are things like harmony, although she is essential, um, ambience, dynamics, other wonderful things. I love these ornamental elements. I want them in the music that I make. I want light and shade in the music. I want grooves that make you tap your feet. I want guitars with volume pedals that swell into big delays. I want all of that. But I'm saying that we should never prioritize those ornamental elements at the expense of the structural elements. And people are sometimes surprised at how little you actually need to play to give people a structure upon which to lead them into worship. Sometimes I say to people who are struggling um, because they don't think they're good enough at their instruments, I, say, I couldn't possibly lead worship. And I say, you can play these three chords, right? And I say, yeah, but, they, but I can't strum. I say, don't strum. Just play the changes. Play the chord. And then when you see another chord written over on, uh, on the sheet, play that chord. And then when you see the next chord, play that chord. And just if you do nothing in between, that's enough. I mean, for goodness sake, even if you don't even have any instruments, just sing it a cappella. Just find a, find a, a tuning fork. Go ding, oh, there's the note, and sing it. it. It really can be that simple. And what we're called to do is, is create an environment where uh, we're just giving people a framework on which to hang their praises and offer them up to God. You do not need an elaborate strumming pattern or a pedal board full of effects, especially if those things mean you miss chords or forget to sing the next line and people just get confused. So uh, as, a, as a kind of aside on this point of simplicity, there's this issue of sometimes uh, you get musicians in your band who um, constantly overplay. I don't know if, you, if you've had this. And I think the problem sometimes is uh, that sometimes these folk are sat at their drum kit or, sat at, or, or, or pick, picking up their guitar and uh, they're in your worship team and that's the only time they've touched their instrument since the last time they played. 
And I think that what's happening is they've got these unspent creative energies. And what I tend to do in those situations is, um, is say to folk, you know, you, you need to find outlets to play that aren't here. Um, because what you're doing is, um, is actually you're, you know, you're using all this kind of pent-up energy in the wrong way. You're not kind of serving the vision that we're actually uh, uh, wanting to realize in our worship ministries. And so you need to go out and, and participate in the cultural life of your community. You need to be playing your instrument uh, in in the pubs and in the clubs and all that sort of thing. Um, and you need to be practicing. You need to not use uh, the worship leading environment as a substitute for actually sitting in your room and working on your instrument. So that's another thing that can happen is we, we overcomplicate things because we, uh, we, we desperately just want to um, get our whole month's worth of playing into those two hours on a Sunday morning because we haven't touched that instrument since then. So we need to actually sort of uh, help those people to, uh, to decide, is this something you want to do? Because if you want to do it, then you probably want to sit down on your own and do it as well as in this context. Anyway, that's it. Anyway, I've got one more point. I'm going to keep it really brief. I had to have seven. This is the point. Just go for it. I've wondered sometimes what the point is of me and you know <laughs> you know that uh, I've read the Bible and there's nothing in there about uh, you know sort of going to church early and setting up all the equipment and uh, playing guitar and singing really cool songs and I sometimes wonder, how is this helping to feed the poor? How is this helping to clothe the naked or give shelter to the refugee? And I realized recently that this was exactly the same attitude that Jesus once rebuked. And uh, all four Gospels have a version of this story, but this bit is from Mark 14, uh, verses 3 and on. While he, Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. As he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, pure nard, very costly stuff, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. You will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can go and do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So that money could have indeed been spent on the poor, but Jesus knew that when God receives the adoration that he deserves, human hearts begin to heal from their brokenness. And it's from that place of restoration that communities are then formed that love and serve the poor. Uh, worship is, as Adam Russell uh, teaches, I recommend this video to a force multiplier. 
So by creating these environments in which people are worshipping, we're actually um, creating uh, places where God will take our offering and give us back um, tenfold more power and more potency in our communities as we minister to people. And my natural reaction actually goes further than some of these disciples, and, and, and Judas is actually named as one of, the, one of the people who are angry about this. My reaction isn't just, that could have been spent on the poor. My reaction is, who on earth is going to clean up that mess? Um, so I just want to end by saying this. A healthy worship ministry is neither cheap nor is it clean. But Jesus says that it's a beautiful thing that we do and that wherever and whenever the gospel is proclaimed, we should remember this one example of reckless adoration of God and we should never hinder it. So thanks very much. If you've... Uh... <laughs> so... Um... I hope there's something there of, of some value to you. My email address is there, but we've got 10 minutes now. If anyone has any questions they want to ask me, go ahead. Um, I'm just going to ask you, so, sorry for my audience. That's okay. I think that um, we need to constantly be um, partnering uh, uh, those those who um, perhaps aren't as skillful as others with those who are more skillful, uh, and and constantly be um, uh, offering those people the um, the protection of. Um, of, of somebody who is maybe a little bit more confident or a, a little bit more secure in their ability, um, while at the same time uh, sort of giving space for development. Um, so I would, I would just say that um, when, I've, um, uh, when I've trained young worship leaders who are of all kinds of different various levels of ability, what I've always done is um, stood alongside them. And, um, and said to them, okay, um, I'm, I'm your safety net. And if, if I uh, pick things up from you, it's, um, it's not a criticism. It's, it's because I want to uh, model for you where it is um, that, that you have room in which to grow. And at the same time, I want to, um, uh, I, I, you know, I, I take seriously the responsibility that I have as a as a leader. Um, uh, so it's it's just um, yeah, just kind of constantly just bringing those people alongside people who are further in, along in their in in their uh, in their skill. So if that helps, so, anyone else? Helen. Oh, by the way, can we just 
Happy birthday to you. Helen. Helen, what was your question? Sorry. So timescale for students. Um, we uh, in Scotland fortunately have four years rather than the normal three years that you have in England, uh, uh, where you know that's an, that's the normal timescale. Um, but within those four years, that they're only there like sort of I don't know, 55 to 60 percent of the time. So um, so so really you condense that and you're you're left with actually sort of two years, two and a bit years sort of, and that's if they join you from day one. Of, of their degree, which often they don't. So you're, um, you're first of all limited by um, when they have made a decision to actually be part of your church. Um, but at the same time, uh, I find that creating opportunities for them to serve in worship ministry is, it helps them, that is part of the deciding factor that they will choose your church. They want somewhere where they can actually get involved. They want a point of connection. Um, in your church. So I need to be sensitive to that as well and not just hang around. So I'm pretty, uh, we're all in the church uh, pretty quick off the mark to just sort of say, okay, what are you about? What, what, you know, <laughs> what's, what, 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 what's your gig? And, um, and, and try and, try, trying to just sort of say, okay, uh, let me connect you with this person, you know, if you want to be a home group leader or if, you, you know, connect you with this person, invite you to this, invite you to that, uh, all that sort of thing. So, but I, I've had, uh, so this girl that was alongside me in the, in, in, in the picture I showed you earlier uh, has um, been with us for one semester. Um, and uh, so far, this, this, that picture was taken a week ago where, um, uh, I was I was doing the leading because she'd been away for a couple of months, you know, Christmas and all that sort of thing. Um, but just before Christmas, she did a co-lead with me. Um, so some people are quicker than others. You know, it, it, it sort of it, it depends on their level of maturity and their level of skill. But but I I don't hang around. <laughs> I really don't. Yeah, you, you've just got to you've got to strike while the iron is hot, Toby. Yeah, Worship Circle is a great environment. If you've never done one, it's, I, I really recommend it. It's an opportunity for those who uh, play musical instruments, um, uh, don't necessarily want to um, uh, serve as part of the ministry of worship, or perhaps they do, but they don't know if they do, and uh, they just want an opportunity to kind of uh, get in the environment of worship. And that's, that's become my main... Um, uh, environment to actually just sort of audition people. I don't do formal auditions. Um, what I do is I stand near people to be able to hear them and go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I, I send trusted um, sort of uh, other people to go and do exactly the same thing, to sort of subtly get near them, to hear them, and then tell me, 
can this, can this per is this person a safe pair of hands to actually sort of get involved in the worship team? So Ashley, do you have a hand up? Is that, and then come to you. I think, um, yeah, that's a really good question. Somebody with a, with a a lot of gifting, but not a lot of uh, uh, not a great attitude. Sometimes it's a really difficult sort of question to sort of apply a, a one size fits all kind of rule to that. But because um, sometimes you find that if you put them, uh, sometimes you find that if they're all full of sort of bluster and it's like, oh yeah, I'm a brilliant guitarist and I can, I can lead worship. And then you get them to lead worship and they realize there are so many moving parts that actually is, it, it all falls apart and suddenly they're humbled and they're like, oh, maybe I should, you know, sort of take myself down a couple of notches. But I think in general, um, as, a, as, a, as a general principle, yeah, we do value character over gifting. Absolutely. We, I, I would rather have... Um, a teachable novice than I would have a completely unteachable virtuoso. Um, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, then, then such such a person uh, is going to be able to hear from you uh, that you need to go away and work on your instrument. You need to go away and work on your on your thing, and 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 I'll give you as many resources as I, as I can towards that. And if they're all if if they're in a place that they can hear that, then that is I can work with that. Yeah, you had a question. Thanks, Ash. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and I just want to remind you of the story of myself that that I I came you you know I had a few chops on the guitar but Brian Dwayne saw me and 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 said you know I could I could really use this guy but it's better for all of us that he just has a little rest and that he actually decides to be part of this church. Um, uh, whether his gifts are put to use or not. And that was important for me at the time. Other people, exactly the opposite. They won't stay unless you use them. And you've got to recognize that as well. So, uh, uh, and, and you think, okay, if I'm, if I'm going um, to help disciple this person, if I have a role to play if I, uh, uh, in order to disciple this person, then I need, to, I need to have him stay. And to have him stay, I need to have him play. But I won't necessarily put him in positions of of influence or responsibility or that sort of thing. Is that cool? Did you have a you had a question over here? Yeah. The, yeah. Um, the worship website I hope that things will become less confusing with with what is now a sort of uh, broader umbrella under which things are uh, things are falling. So you will now be able to go to the Vineyard Church's website and click on worship. And when you click on worship, you will find yourself on the new Vineyard Worship website, where um, and 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 all of the resources will be consolidated in that one space. 
Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there, there is that. There is also a new training platform, but that is distinct. Uh, that is for people who are um, sort of wanting to, to take a more sort of structured approach rather than just sort of tap into the occasional resource here and there. Um, but yeah, I do, I do hope if you go to uh, the Vineyard Church's website and hit worship, or if you go to vineyardworship.org.uk, you, you land in the same place. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you land in the same place. Um, we're actually, um, let me just see. We're out of time. Um, I can maybe take one more question. Um, all right, two more, two more very, can I take two more very quick questions? Two more very quick questions, but uh, if you want to find me an email or I'll be sort of hanging around for a little while and you can, you can grab me. You can even buy me dinner if you like. Uh, it's like, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, Lauren and Phil. Right. If it's if you're talking about sort of locally, so so um, so it's not like this person has come from another part of the country to be a university student in my town. You're talking about this person has left the church down the road, and they've come to me. Yeah, I would want to know uh, uh, that they've left that church well, um, and uh, I just want to know the circumstances of that. And if they don't want to talk about that, well, that that would be a bit of a problem for me. I think. Um, so, um, yeah, we don't leave churches well. We need to teach people to leave well. And if they haven't led well, we need to get them to go back and, and clean up whatever mess they left behind them. <laughs> uh, and then come, and then come and join us. Um, is that, yeah, uh, and, and Phil. Uh, when you say connect groups, you mean just small groups, okay? Um, do you know, do you know what this is? Some this is an area that I need to improve on uh, is actually sort of connecting with and resourcing uh, home group worship leaders. Um, uh, but yes, I sometimes find out that there are folk leading worship in home groups that have never made themselves known to me, and um, and. Uh, let me just tell you one little story, actually. There's this home group of about five girls, uh, students, and they didn't have a worship leader. And this one girl went away and bought a ukulele and taught herself how to play it and then turned up the next week and said, is this all right? Uh, learned three songs and, and, and led worship. Now, that's the sort of person I love to hear about and then say to her, do you know what? I want you in, I want you in the team. Even if you know three chords and a ukulele, that's it. I, I just I just want people who are hungry for it. So, thank you so much. Uh, hit me up with an email. Buy me dinner. Whatever it is. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>